Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here tonight. If you would be opening your Bibles to Psalm 32, Psalm 32, in just a few minutes we'll begin there and then also look at Psalm 51. We won't have slides tonight, so be sure and take your Bible or a pew Bible there. And if you need to find Psalm, just open up to the middle and you'll probably be in it. Uh, And we'll study God's Word together. Keep in mind that we're looking forward to Missions Emphasis Day uh, this coming Sunday, seven days from today. Also keep in mind that all of the adult uh, classes meet together here in the auditorium uh, traditionally on Missions Emphasis Day. And it will be that way again this year. Uh, So if you're teaching a class, keep that in mind, you won't teach this coming Sunday. And if you attend classes outside of the auditorium and you're an adult, be sure and remember to come in here uh, next Sunday. We are thankful to have our youth back that attended uh, Evangelism University. Uh, It was a tremendous weekend. And let me give you uh, a quick insight to the blessing of this day and just tell you a little bit about the, the caliber of young people that we have. Many of our young people that go to Evangelism University, which is in Savannah, Tennessee, will say that this is the one event that is their favorite out of all the events they go to. When they arrive on Friday night, they hear either lecture-type settings or class settings about evangelism until way past your bedtime, and then they go to bed. They get up first thing Saturday morning, all day long. They're either in lecture-type settings or Bible classes, Saturday night until way past your bedtime again. They get up Sunday morning and have a worship service that is themed around evangelism again and get back on the bus and drive the four-hour drive home. And many of our kids say that is their favorite event of the ones that they go to. Uh, We have some great young people, and and you know that, and, and, and hopefully they know that in a humble sort of way. And we need to give God the thanks uh, for all of it and give Him the glory. He blesses us tremendously with wonderful congregation, wonderful parents, wonderful youth minister, wonderful youth, and wonderful opportunities uh, like Evangelism University. So many parts of the country do not have the blessings available to them that we have here in Middle Tennessee. And we need to be thankful for that. Confession. Why is it so hard to do? Why is it that A lot of the time, adults think that if another adult comes forward, it must be one of the horrible sins committed. Because after all, no one would confess over a mild sin, would they? I mean, that has to be in the Bible somewhere, doesn't it? That it has to be a sin of such serious nature for someone would actually walk down the aisle and confess Or is that what the Lord teaches? Tonight, let's think about and study about confession. And I want to remind you that several weeks ago, we studied about glory. A few weeks after that, we studied about obedience. A few weeks after that, we studied about joy. And tonight, this topic goes right along with those same topics. If we're going to grow spiritually... And if we're going to be what God wants us to be, we don't get to define what we think confession ought to be. And when we think it ought to be, we go back and let God say, what is confession? Why is it done? And let's look at a few passages tonight that 
hopefully will bring light to a wonderful topic. Not a bad topic, a wonderful topic. You remember David and the time that he committed some grievous sins, adultery, uh, had one of his mighty men to lead a suicide mission. Henceforth, he was really guilty of murdering the man. And it was during this time of guilt that we see Psalms 32, but we also will later see Psalms 51. But as we think about whether or not we like the topic of confession, think about whether or not David liked the topic of confession. Let's read Psalms 32 and let's read 3 and 4 and then see how confession in verse 5 ties to this. In verse 3 he says, When I kept silent, you see, when I wouldn't confess my sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Right now, if you could choose youth, or you could choose a very elderly state of being health-wise. I'm talking about the way you feel. I'm not talking about wisdom. I'm not talking about life experience. I'm just talking about the way you feel physically. Which would you choose? Would you choose to walk light on your feet, or would you choose to be stiff and your bones heavy? I'm sure all of us would say, well, I would choose to have more of a young feeling of health. Here, he's using that kind of language to describe the spiritual being of a person. Now, before we say, I don't like confession, keep in mind the groundwork that he's laying here is saying, if we're not willing to confess our sins, what we're doing is we are aging ourselves spiritually in the sense that we're deteriorating our spiritual health. Now, notice what happened when he decided in verse 5. I acknowledged, that's the teaching of confession. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He said, I'm tired of walking around spiritually deteriorating. I'm tired of carrying this burden. I'm tired of being like in the worn out summertime. I want relief here. I want forgiveness. I want to know strength, vitality again, spiritually. He said, so I decided to confess. God forgave, and I enjoyed these things. Now, summary of this thought out of this chapter, drop down to verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Now, pause there for just a moment. Mercy implies that there was a guilt of sin, and we know earlier he spoke of that sin, and he sought forgiveness And so now he's saying, okay, the wicked, those that will not confess, those that will not seek forgiveness, they're going to continue to live in sorrow. But those that are the Lord, but notice how he placed it, trust in the Lord. I'm just so afraid if I confess, what are people going to think about me? Trust in the Lord. I just don't know if if, if I could really confess. I I mean, I don't know how I would live knowing that other people knew that I was a sinner. Now, let's pause right there. Everybody already knows you're a sinner. The question is, have you confessed and sought forgiveness? You see, it goes back to whether or not we trust the Lord. And that goes back to whether or not we'll be granted mercy from the Lord. And this is how that chapter closes. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Now we're back to our topic of the joy of the Lord. Where did this joy come from? It come from confessing. It come from being forgiven because we confessed, because we made our sins not hidden but open so that we could seek God's forgiveness. And so be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy and you upright in heart. He was guilty of sin in heart. Now he's been cleansed because he confessed. What a beautiful thought to lay the introduction to the topic of confession. But let's look and let's see a passage where David wrote about his time of confession, his time of seeking forgiveness. Go over, if you will, to Psalms 51. And as we do this, let's study through this, not reading every verse, but let's pick out the verses that describe things that confession helps us view. In other words, when we really understand confession, it's going to really help us have the proper view, number one, of sin. As we read the first three verses... And we'll read each verse and comment about a particular thing. Notice how David had a clear understanding now that he was ready to confess. Remember, for about a year, he lived as if he'd done nothing wrong. For about a year, the life was snowballing, if you will. And finally, when it's brought to his attention and the guilt floods him, finally then, he's ready to confess. He's ready to recognize what sin really is. And so now in verse 1, we read about this view of sin. He begins by saying, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies. So we read about mercy and mercies in one verse. Now, as we already pointed out, it is the fact that he recognized that sin deserved judgment. Someone says, how do you get that out of that verse? You can't talk about mercy without talking about guilt. You can't talk about guilt without, uh, I'm sorry, you can't talk about mercy without talking about judgment. And you do not have judgment of guilt unless there is a guilt of sin. And so what, what was he doing? He says, I realize what I need is I need mercy. In other words, indirectly he was saying, I know that God has to punish sin. Now, think about this for just a moment. This is significant. Have You ever had Satan to try to convince you that God does need to punish sin, but you're an exception? Well, I mean, God understands that that I'm just doing this because I'm in a dilemma. Well, I mean, God understands that I'm not normally like this. I mean, yeah, He would punish this sin in most people, but He wouldn't me. Well, God understands. Now think about David. God understands I'm a man after His own heart. God understands I'm the king. God understands I'm not just any king, I'm the king of His people. God understands that that I was a a, a small shepherd that started out just living a godly life and, and I've come to this great existence in this great kingdom. Yes, it would be sin for other people, but God understands that my situation's different. Confession? David didn't confess to the Lord while he was all of the exceptions. David confessed to the Lord, I need your mercy. If I'm going to understand confession, I have to have a proper understanding and view of sin. Sin deserves the judgment of God. God would not be a just and fair God if He punished one individual for their sin and He overlooked the sin in your life. That's not a just God. The just God that we serve 
must hold all of us accountable for our sin. But that's the beauty of God's grace. And that's what David wanted here was God's mercy. Notice the second thing in verse 2. He also realized that a view of sin was that he needed cleansing. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, reading this in a sermon inside a worship service, you say, well, yeah, sin is dirty and we need cleansing from sin. But you know, there's a lot of people that don't think that their sin is dirty. There's no reason to confess it because it's not wrong. Turn on a lot of our media, entertainment. Are they saying that that sin is dirty and nasty? Or is it being promoted? If you're not doing this, you're missing out. If you're not wearing this, you're missing out. If you're not drinking this, if you're not taking this, if you're not participating in this, you are missing out. This is the stuff. And God's saying, if you do these things, you're dirty. You need washed. You need cleansed. Sin has separated you from God. Have you ever thought of the fact that there's a lot of people that the reason they won't confess sin is they don't think anything's wrong with sin? David had to finally come to the wise conclusion that something was wrong with the sin. And so when he confessed, he confessed realizing that God's judgment was upon him. He confessed realizing that he had marred his soul, that it was dirty. But notice the third thing. For I acknowledge... Here we go back to the idea of confessing. I acknowledge my transgression. Here, David takes responsibility. You know, so much of what we talked about this morning, we talked about coming up, stepping up, and taking responsibility. We need to take responsibility for the positive things, as we talked about this morning. But here, David, he recognizes his sin, and he takes responsibility for it. There's none of us perfect. But all of us have to take responsibility for our own sin. We can't confess each other's sin. We can't cleanse each other from sin. But we can take responsibility for our sin. And we can turn to the one that can cleanse us to be relieved, if you will, of his condemnation so that we can receive mercy through his judgment of grace. That's some things as we think about confession how it helps us to understand and view sin. But now let's read a little further down, and let's think about as we confess, we also have a right view of God. He helps us to understand this. We're dropping down now to verse 6, 7, and 8. And notice how he understands God as he now decides to confess sins. We're still in Psalms 51, verse 6. Behold, you, he's talking to God, he's confessing his sin, and he says, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. When we confess sin, we come to view a God who is a holy God. A God that inside and out is pure and wants us to be pure inside and out also. When he talked about our inward parts, he wants us to be people that live the truth and people that are filled with wisdom because he is a holy God. Now, when we think about paganism and many of the idols and, and the pagan gods that ask 
I know a God with a little G can't ask us anything, but it was their religion. Their God would ask them to do perverted and sinful things. We don't serve that kind of God. We serve a God that wants what is best for us. All He wants in our life is truth. All He wants in our life is wisdom. As I begin to take responsibility for my sin, and I bring that to the Lord, and I confess that, I am also viewing a God... I'm seeing God as one that wants to take the sin out of my life and He wants to replace my inner parts with truth and wisdom. That's what kind of God I start to see. Notice as we read verse 7, we see a God who has authority over sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Be honest with yourself. Do you remember the time you did something that if you could just relive that moment, that sin, that transaction, that if you just would not have done it, you'd feel a lot better about yourself. But you did it. You can't rewind time and... Relive that differently. But isn't it awesome that there's a God that says, I can wash away the guilt of that. And if you want to talk about the guilt factor, it'll be just like you never committed it. And we may still have to bear the consequences on earth. He doesn't erase the sowing and reaping factor. But he'll erase the guilt factor. Who has authority to do that? When I confess sin, please note this. When I confess sin, I'm confessing sin because I'm admitting I've sinned. I can't handle it myself. I need God to cleanse me. Friends, if if we could cleanse ourselves, we wouldn't need to confess it. We wouldn't need to turn to others and to God. But we can't. There's only one that has authority over sin. And it's only God that can cleanse. But notice this third factor that we see about God that helps us as we confess. Look at verse 8. And again, we're back to this this topic of joy. It's amazing. I I look so forward to studying this year where we're going to just see it everywhere. Look look again in verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken... Very significant phrase. That the bones you have broken may rejoice. Now we start seeing a God who is stern, but a God who is very compassionate. I want to share with you what one particular scholar believes this verse means. Notice I give him the credit or the blame because I don't know exactly how to feel about this. But I share it with you because we need to think about and study this scripture and we need to figure it out ourselves. Notice how it's the Lord that breaks the bones. We bring sin into our life and the Lord allows that to break us spiritually. God's not going to stop it. He's not going to say, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. 
You just sinned, but I'm going to make it as if you didn't. No, you sinned. You're guilty of that sin. You decide if you want to confess it. You decide if you want to bring it back to God. Now, if you want to bring that brokenness back to God, then He can work with it. But God, in that sense, is going to let it break. He uses this analogy I've never heard before. He says that shepherds used to take sheep that were wayward sheep. If you've ever been around livestock, just like people, some particular animals, individual animals have characteristics that are different from the others. And so you can imagine if you have a hundred lambs, there's going to be one lamb that constantly runs off. And you're every day going to try to find that one lamb that constantly runs off. This scholar says a practice of the shepherds was to break their leg. Then they couldn't run. And at the time that that leg is set in healing for those weeks, the shepherd would carry that lamb everywhere he went. And by the time his leg was healed, he was close to the shepherd. And he didn't run off after he was healed. This fellow says he believes that's what God is speaking about here. We run off. We break. And we don't have anywhere else to go for healing except to the Lord. He sets it. He nurtures us. And we love and appreciate Him. And we decide to stay with Him. I don't know exactly how it breaks down. You can take that for what it's worth, but we do know this. He is a compassionate God. And if you have ever confessed sin and you've had that forgiveness, if you'll just remember the feeling you had when you put your head on the pillow that night, how good it felt to know that God had forgiven you, you came to know the joy and the gladness that's spoken of that verse whenever our bones of spirituality have been healed. But let's notice one more thing in this chapter. Look on the next, well, on my page, it's on the next page. Let's go to page 13. It's still the same chapter. Psalms 51, page 13. Let's see that as we confess sin, we have a right view. A right view of self and of others. Notice what he says in verse 13. Once David, and and by the way, look there in 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. You see, here's where he's wanting to be healed. Here's where he's wanting things to be right again. Now, what is this going to do? When he confesses his sin and he's getting things on track, notice what then he he begins to see what he can do to help others. So he views himself as one now that can help sinners again. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. How important is it to you to help others? Do you have children that you want to see make it to heaven? Do you have a spouse or parents or friends that you want to see them make it to heaven? And you believe that a part of your responsibility is to encourage and help them get to heaven. Do you realize if we remain in sin and and we're too prideful to confess sin, we are making it so that we cannot help others. As David sought God's forgiveness, he realized then, now I'm going to be able to go back doing what I used to do. I used to be able to help turn people from Satan and to God. And I want to be about that again. Notice as we drop down to verse 17, 
he begins now to see himself, how he can be used for the sake of God. Look at 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. He sees himself now as something that's, that's a valuable sacrifice to God. You know, Romans the 12th chapter 1 and 2 teaches us that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. What does God want this sacrifice to be? He wants it to be a heart that is always broken against wrong, against sin. We don't find glory in sin. We don't gloat in sin. It breaks our heart. And we take that broken and that contrite heart and we offer it to God. And when we can see ourselves for the sake of God, that that's the kind of sacrifice we want to live, we can find that through a life of confession. But notice, if you will, verse 18. 18, he says, as he considers others. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Now, you notice we're very close to the end of the chapter. All this chapter, he's been talking about him and his cleansing, his sins, his transgressions, and now his joy of being healed, his relationship with God. And now toward the very end, he starts talking about how now I can think about Jerusalem again. Now I can think about the cleansing that ought to take place in the lives of my citizens that live in my kingdom. Friends, sin puts blinders on us so that we do not see the things that are important. And we begin to stop seeing the worth and the value of others. How many times have you seen a parent that would give their life for their child until they got into the depths of a particular sin? And it's like that sin put blinders on them. And then the people that they at one time loved with all of their heart, they lived as if they could care less. How does that happen? It happens when we refuse to confess. When we refuse to repent when we refuse to seek God's forgiveness. Let's close this lesson by reading from 1 John, the first chapter. 1 John, the first chapter. <clears throat> I'd like for us to read <clears throat> verse 7, verse 9, and then skip down to the second chapter and read verse 1 and 2. Notice what God will do for us in verse 7. We're in 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sins. That's what God will do for us. We walk in the light. God is in the cleansing business. But what's our responsibility? Look at verse 9. Our responsibility, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice he's faithful and he's just. He can't forgive us without the confessing because that wouldn't be just. But when we're willing to yield ourselves to his will, he longs to forgive us. The question is, are we willing to confess? Notice how he puts it in light in verse 1 and 2 of the second chapter. My little children... These things are right to you. Now you think about the 
the aging John writing this to people he loved that were Christians. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. That is the very same word that when Jesus was talking about that he was going to send into heaven in John 13 and 14 and 15. Remember when he talked about he's going to send into heaven and God was going to send the Holy Spirit back to them? And, and the Holy Spirit's called the helper? This is the same word. Here where he talks about sin, he says that we've been given an advocate. Jesus is a helper. It's the idea of a defense lawyer. It's the idea of one that stands right along beside us. Say, I I can't believe I've sinned. I'm ashamed of myself. I don't know what to do. And God says, don't you see? I sent Jesus to earth. Symbolically speaking, He's standing there. He's willing to work your case. He's paid the price. What, What do you want me to do? I just told you a few verses up. Humble yourselves. Confess your sin. Seek forgiveness. But if you decide to try to hide it, pretend like you didn't do it, maybe no one else will ever bring it up again then you don't have the advocate. Then you don't have the remission of sins. And so we finish verse 1 and go into 2. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You remember Jonathan Pettis? He interned here one summer. I was visiting with him last night. And just kind of out of nowhere, he says this statement. Why is it so hard for people to confess wrong? I said, it is, isn't it? He said, no, really. He said, why will people not respond to the Lord? And say, I'm a sinner. That's a whole other discussion. But we know this. If we're too proud to say we're wrong, we can spend an eternity contemplating that. But we won't like the surroundings. Confession for a Christian is not an option. Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that? Tonight, if you're guilty of sin that you've never confessed, won't you be forgiven tonight? If we can help you in any way,